0: are made
1: possible by donations from people like you. Today I want to talk about uh, what I've called the Zen Way Study Program. I uh, didn't quite get into the details of that last fortnight. And uh, at the end of today I'll send out the draft of that and uh, inviting people to give me feedback or comments and then I'll put it up on the uh, on the website. But before we do that, a little joke. Who would like to know what the ultimate truth is? Raise your hand. There is no ultimate truth. And that's a joke about the uh, Buddhist philosopher Nagarjuna from the third century. One of the... Uh, key philosophers are key buddhist philosophers of emptiness so in a way um you know buddhism uh, is closely aligned to what in the west we call pragmatism it's a kind of anti-realist philosophy uh it doesn't seek to claim absolute or ultimate objective truth but is more concerned from the buddha onwards with pragmatism with pragmatism, what works rather than what's true. In other words, it's geared towards relieving our own lives and the lives of others of suffering and uh, moving towards compassion. So today I want to contextualise um place it within the, the larger school of ordinary mind Zen, which you're all familiar with, but um, some of you are not. And also, you know, the larger school of um, Ordinary Mind Zen is placed within the larger pantheon of Buddhism. So I guess I asked myself the question of, well, why do I want to describe a study program or a draft curriculum for our Zen? So why, why do I want to do that? Um... Primarily to give us all a sense of um, transparency and ability to contribute, so that we're trying to develop a program which we all can contribute to, placed within the larger context of Buddhism, but also trying to specify and define what is pretty unique about our Zen and ordinary way, uh, mind, ordinary mind Zen. Another reason why I wanted to draft something like this is to uh, give us a sense of direction, a sense of the larger context of practice, um, being more than just what I maybe talk about on a week by week or fortnight by fortnight basis, giving you all a sort of sense of what that larger study program is. Um, so we're just a small sangha within a much larger, larger Buddhist global community. Um, But as a small sangha, we know we are participating in creating Buddhism in the West, and who knows what it's going to be like in 300 years' time. But we're part of that history. The other reason why I think it's important is that um, when uh, our founding teacher, Joe Kobeck, decided to do away with what was called the koan curriculum. It left a little bit of a gap. Um, Many of you know, I did study with some uh, diamond sangha Zen teachers, and in the diamond sangha tradition, they have a a fairly core curriculum where one moves through a large number of koans through to um, studying um some zen philosophy and also called the five ranks and also going on to studying the precepts which is often which is done last in that particular school Um, so there's no set there's no set curriculum in 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 ordinary mind zen Um, so we, we we are making ours up as we go along but trying to trying to embody the spirit of Joko and Barry's teachings. So I won't be able to cover everything this morning, but I want to cover Buddhist ethics and the precept group. And uh, I also want to cover the student-teacher relationship. And I want to cover commitment to Sangha practice. We probably know enough about meditation practice, so I don't have to go too much into that. And I won't go too much into Buddhist philosophy and Western philosophy. Um, But later on this year, I will be doing some work on the Heart Sutra with you. Uh, We can touch on Zen and psychotherapy and the arts. So first of all, I just want to locate ourselves in the purpose statement of the Ordinary Mind Zen School, which you'll find on the webpage. I'll just go through that slowly. So the ordinary mind Zen school intends to manifest and support practice of the awakened way as expressed in the teaching of Charlotte Joko Beck. So in that sense, we are acknowledging in that statement, uh, the work of uh, Joko as being foundational to our school. And um, just as a matter of interest, um, one of Joko's daughters uh, is bringing out a third book of Joker's collected talks due out sometime in May, June this year on Amazon as well. So if, 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 if you don't have Joker's first two books, I advise you to get a copy of them. I can send you digital copies of them, but also it might be interesting to get a hold of a, a new, the new book when it comes out in this year. And, um, I won't dwell too much on Joko's contribution to Zen; it would be, take up too much time. But um, so she's highly regarded as a Western Zen teacher, and that's where our school starts. The second sentence is: the school is composed of of, of Dharma successors, Joko's Dharma successors, and teachers and their successors. They, as individuals, are formally authorized. So I've been formally authorised by Barry Barry Majid, who was formally authorised by Joko Beg. There is no affiliation with other Zen groups or religious denominations. However, membership in this school does not preclude individual affiliation with other groups. So, you know, we are open as a Sangha to people from all different um, faith or religious backgrounds or secular humanist backgrounds. And um, we, have, we encourage inclusivism, inclusivism um, but we try and uh, uh, bring that all together in our core uh, Zen studies program. So, you know, you may have someone who um, uh, belongs to a Christian church uh, and also practices Zen. That's not uncommon, similarly with other religions. Or you might get someone who's an atheist or agnostic or a humanist who also practices Zen. Within the school, there is no hierarchy of Dharma successors, so we are a very flat hierarchy, there's no Pope in the uh, ordinary mind Zen school, okay. well, there's nobody who the, has the authority in that, in that way. uh, I'll just continue, the awakened way is universal, the medium and methods of realization vary according to circumstances. So we could say there's one Dharma or one reality and many paths. Each Dharma successor in the school may apply diverse approaches and determine the structure of any organization that he or she may develop to facilitate practice. Um, In our constitution, we've made it clear of a separation of powers that the the governance is the responsibility of sangha and the teacher or teachers are responsible for the teaching. The successors acknowledge that they are ongoing students and that the quality of their teaching derives from the quality of their practice. Um, In Zen, we encourage ongoing practice and there's no sort of final destination one arrives at where one is fully enlightened. Well, I've never met anybody in that regard anyway. So practice is unceasing. As ongoing students, teachers are committed to the openness and fluidity of practice, wherein the wisdom of the absolute may be manifested in as our life. An important function of this school is the ongoing examination and development of effective teaching approaches to ensure comprehensive practice in all aspects of living. And that's where I invite you as friends or members of Zen, to contribute as well as to the ongoing examination and development of effective teaching approaches. This is part of that, that kind of exercise. The statement finishes on the sentence, may the practice of this school manifest wisdom and compassion benefiting all beings. So that's this. That's the purpose statement of the uh, ordinary mind Zen school. Are there any questions on that or any comments on that?
0: Can you say that again, please, Ian?
1: That's the 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 statement uh, of purpose or purpose statement uh, that I mean all sta- ordinary mind Zen schools adhere to. Oh, and I mean the statement itself. What was it? That was it. I've just been through it. Right. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's on the yeah. website in, in, in as well. But I'll also send you out a copy of this. Yeah, Okay. Any other questions? So I'll just continue then sort of like picking up with some of Barry's kind of um, statements. Barry Marget, uh established the Ordinary Mind Zendo in New York. So the... The Ordinary Mind Zen School was established by Joko and a couple of her successors in about 1995 and around about 90, in the late nineties, Barry established the Ordinary Mind Dome in New York. And uh, like Barry's group, Zen is dedicated to maintaining Joko Beck's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice. So they're Barry's words, a psychologically minded Zen practice and adapted to the needs of Australian students by practicing in the context of their everyday lives. The Ordinary Mind Zen School has been at this is me. The order Mind Zen School has been at the forefront of integrating awakening and psychotherapy. What um, the uh, Ken Wilbur, the uh, philosopher, mm-hmm. calls the fourth turning of the Dharma wheel. That it, growing up and waking up so metaphors of growing up and waking up growing up metaphor is about the um, i guess what what get addressed what gets addressed in psychotherapy waking up is the metaphor that, as to what we're on what we're on about in our zen buddhist practice and uh sometimes those two we, we're wanting to integrate those two and the reason why we're wanting to integrate those two is that from the history of buddhism in the west it became apparent that Sometimes, even though one has amazing waking up experiences, um, one can have some developmental issues that you might call need psychotherapy. So one could still have an alcohol problem or other kinds of problems, um, uh, even though one has had some profound spiritual experiences. That's one of the big learnings we have uh, in the West. And so that, that notion of bringing the two together, uh, the fact that they can, they need to go hand in hand. And um, and that's the case also with the importance of governing, the governance of the Sangha, that the governance of the Sangha is by the Sangha themselves and not by the teacher. So the teacher is accountable or reportable to the Sangha. Um, obviously, Ozen is not a monastic um, practice. So we're committed to the proposition that the Dharma can be fully practiced, realized, and transmitted in the midst of lay life. So that's an important development in the West. We're we're clearly saying that this is not um, a kind of um, second rate Zen Buddhism because we're not monastics. We're saying that the challenge of practicing in our lay life, in our everyday life, is just as... uh, uh, effective as it would be if we were to go into a monastery i'm not saying or discouraging anybody here from if you're wanting to go to a a, a zen monastery in the united states or somewhere else and spend three months of intensive practice or one year of intensive practice i mean there are all those kinds of issues that come up in monasteries as they do in our everyday life but primarily we're saying that uh, we're not saying that we have a lower status because we're not monastics. We're saying that there's an equality. And Barry's been very keen advocate of that in the States and was instrumental in forming the Lay Zen Teachers Association, which I'm a member of as well. And finally, I, w- I want to say that we also affirm that Zen is dedicated to valuing and appreciating this life and to practice for personal and social transformation in this time and place. Um, some of you may remember um, I discussed a little bit of um, a philosopher called Martin Hegland's book called This Life Last Year. And um, in that book, um, Hegeland... Um, he grouped Buddhism with a number of other spiritual traditions, saying that um, they're, they're, they're kind of like in the aiming to transcend this life, um, neglected the importance of living this life and the meaning that comes from living our lives and, 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 and focusing on this life. Um, I think Zen has always valued this life. Um, you might make the case maybe that Theravada Buddhism is more focused on... Uh, the, the cycle of rebirth and eventually getting off that cycle, literally. But I, but, but to me, from Chinese Zen on, Chinese Chan onwards, Zen has always focused on this life and the importance of this life. So that's a very important value we have. There's no requirement to identify as a Buddhist, in in Zen. However, the ordinary mind Zen school is nonetheless grounded within the larger Soto Zen Buddhist tradition, uh, which practices shikantaza or just sitting. And, of course, Soto Zen Buddhism is grounded in the larger tradition of Buddhism.
0: Can I just um, make a query or a, maybe it's a comment? I think I saw something in the bits of stuff you sent around the precepts group saying that at one point it's like if you practice this precept then you are saying you're a buddhist i'm, I'm misquoting it terribly obviously but do you know what i'm talking about
1: yes the the, the precept ceremony what's called dukai Kai means precepts and ju means receiving. So ju kai means receiving precepts, which in the the Buddhist world, in the Mahayana Zen Buddhist world, um, that traditionally has been basically coming out as a Buddhist, if you like. But as I, as I also state, we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get to the precepts group. Sure. Um, this is a personal choice It's um, there's no requirement to um, practice uh, Zen and identify as a Buddhist uh, Barry identifies as a Buddhist um, I believe Joko didn't identify as a Buddhist you know one can say that the Buddha didn't teach Buddhism he taught the Dharma but I mean but um, it's it comes down to personal preferences David and um, we'll, we can talk more about that um, thank you um, and um, as with other sort of, uh, we, as with other Buddhist organizations, at some stage in, in our practice, uh, friends of Ozen are encouraged to become members of the Sangha and participate in the governance and leadership roles of the Sangha, the community of practitioners. And I'll say more about that in a few minutes. So I'm hoping to develop a study program designed to support your commitment to personal and social transformation to create a more compassionate world. The path of Zen Buddhism involves taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. The Buddha simply means the one who is awake or awake awareness, points to the Buddha within you and the Buddha as embodied, however imperfectly, in our teachers. And this life provides us with many teachers, not just Zen teachers. Everyone we meet in a way can be a teacher for us. The Dharma is basically reality itself and the teachings. Reality itself, however, always evades our attempts to conceptualize it. And uh, hence the importance of what you might sort of call non-conceptual seeing in Zen. There's a lot of ways in which Zen tries to uh, guide us away from getting involved in concepts towards some kind of non-conceptual seeing. Um, however, that doesn't discount the importance of study and, uh, and the importance of discussing concepts neither. Because in a sense, non-conceptual reality is, is a is a concept too otherwise i might just go like that um zen is kind of like sometimes tries to find alternative forms of communication other than conceptual communication the the process of uh, the sangha um, is a community of practitioners dedicated to maintaining and cultivating a, a culture of awakening, to the reality of imp- to, to reality, to the reality of impermanence, interdependence, and no inherent essential self. The sang is also important in maintaining and developing teachings appropriate for this time and place. So as, as I said before, Ozzen subscribes to an open and pragmatic approach to dharma teachings. There is no one school of Buddhism that has the truth. We don't claim to have the truth. And what counts is what works for you. So dharma study programs are, ten, are founded on the first turning of the wheel of dharma called the, uh, the Four Noble Truths or... I do like Stephen Batchelor's interpretation of this where he talks about four tasks rather than four truths. And uh, they being the acknowledgement of suffering, the seeing of suffering, the the freeing or release from suffering or dukkha and the path to the the freeing ourselves from dukkha or suffering. And then the the path, the Eightfold Noble Path, uh, I'll talk about in a couple of weeks' time the four practice principles that we recite is really a rewording of the four truths or the four tasks of Buddhism. And uh, Stephen Batchelor has a nice kind of summation, too. I mean, I think the four practice principles are a really lovely way of rewording the four tasks of Buddhism or the four truths of Buddhism. Uh, but Stephen Batchelor also has a nice four. He calls them embrace life, let go of what arises, see it ceasing act that's how he summarizes the four tasks but we'll talk more about that in a fortnight's time so in all buddhist traditions that path falls into three basic groupings ethics meditation and wisdom and in most buddhist schools it starts with ethics they found the practice on ethics and um, so ethics could be seen as in buddhism the cultivation of character and ethics is founded on this, this concept you would all would have come across at one time or another called karma. And um, in, in, in Buddhism, karma is not some kind of process where people get punished. Um, it's more a very simple notion of cause and effect, or like, for example, if you have too much to drink, you're going to wake up with a hangover in the morning. That's karma. And um, but it also is a, is a way of trying to express the complexity of causes as well. So if everything is interdependent um, and interconnected, then you can see how, from a Buddhist perspective, um, everything which is arising and ceasing is, is overdetermined in a way. So it's, um, we live in a very complex web of interconnections. And so Buddhist ethics is kind of founded on that understanding. Um, So I just want to give a couple of quotes about Buddhist ethics. Um, First one's from Stephen Batchelor's book called After Buddhism. He says, in contrast to those who base their behavior on metaphysical truth claims, The practitioner of the Dharma, as Buddha Gautama envisioned it, takes into account the totality of each situation and responds in accordance with the principles, perspective and values of the Dharma. Since each situation in life is unique, it is impossible to predict in advance exactly how such a person will respond. Instead of asking what is the right or wrong thing to do, the practitioner asks, what is the wisest and most compassionate thing to do? Many centuries after the Buddha, the Chinese Chan patriarch, yumen 860 to 949, was asked, what are the teachings of an entire lifetime? And yumen replied, an appropriate statement. For you men, what counts is whether your words and deeds are an appropriate response to the situation at hand, not whether they accord with an abstract truth. So the idea in our practice, including our zazen practice and our study of the precepts, is kind of like creating and through our intention and our aspirations, putting, creating um, the conditions for us to be able to respond to life as it is in a more compassionate way, including how we respond to ourselves, how we respond to others, how we respond to the world. In other words, moving from a reaction to more of a response. And um, the training in Buddhism, especially in Zen Buddhism, also has this notion of really of not so much following rules or or figuring, trying to figure out what's right or wrong, but a more spontaneous response to a situation. Every si- so it's very situationless, very contextual. You can't predict in advance how one should respond. But hopefully through our practice, we begin to respond more compassionately to situations that arise in our lives. Um, so another quote on the ethics of Buddhist ethics uh, from a philosopher called Jay Garfield, um, buddhist moral theorists see ethics as concerned not primarily with actions the consequences obligations sentiments or human happiness but rather with the nature of our experience that is as we see buddhist ethics is a moral phenomenology concerned with the transformation of our experience of the world and hence our overall comportment to it so in other words Our practice is about the transformation of our experience of the world, especially the uprooting of the subject object duality and the identification as a self towards acting more compassionately and more responsively. So the precepts that we'll be studying, their precepts should not be seen as rules to be followed. They're more like an expression of reality, of the Dharma, of the reality When we see clearly the reality of interdependence and impermanence, this is how we would spontaneously respond. Um, So, as you all know, the precepts group will be starting soon. Um, One of the metaphors that Diana, Diane Rizzetto uses in her book, um, Waking Up to What We Do, is precepts are a beacon light to focus our attention on our experience of compassion's way in our everyday life. Um, so as we get into the precepts, it's almost like doing intensive practice for that f- seven, um, 14 sessions altogether. So it's kind of like the, using the precepts to reflect on our practice on a regular basis throughout the year. And the precepts sort of shine a light on different aspects of that and uh, participants will be encouraged to keep a precepts journal working on one precept per fortnight and we'll discuss that in the group Um, graduates of the precepts group will be encouraged to make a presentation it's voluntary of some aspects of the precepts work during the end of the year retreat that could be in a traditional 15-minute talk format or alternative forms of expression such as video, music, or poetry. The option of jukai is, as I said, a personal choice. Um, so, the, to, to, to participate in the jukai ceremony at the end of the year retreat, um, some students are already intending to participate in the ceremony, others are not sure. There is no requirement to participate in the jukai ceremony, this is a personal decision. Um, and um, as part of the preparation for the ceremony, uh, one can either sew one's own rakasu, and we'll talk about that later on, or one can buy a rakasu. And uh, the the preceptor is presented with a rakasu by the teacher as, at, during the ceremony as part of the the, the Jukai Buddhist ceremony. Um, the other aspect of our ongoing ethics commitment is, you know, our involvement in social justice issues. Um, see you, David. Whether that's Echo Dharma projects, equality and non-discrimination projects, and friends and members of OzZen are encouraged to share the various ways in which they practice social engagement through contributions to the OzZen Journal. So I'll stop there and ask for any any particular questions on that aspect of the ethics program. Any questions on the Duke on the precepts group? Uh, Did you all receive the email I sent out last night to the okay. Jason, do you have a question? You have to unmute yourself. No. Like okay. so See, it's usually in the left-hand corner of the mute button. Never mind. Never mind, Jason. We'll come back to it. La- we'll come back to it later. Um, any other any other any other questions or comments? Um, so I take it, Andrew. That the. Precepts are um can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah I do, yeah. Yep. Um yeah, and no, I take it the precepts and are pretty interconnected in practice. Um, you know, we are doing one sort of focusing on one at a time. Yeah. But I yeah. guess in the end is a it's a lot to sort of to sort of remember, I guess, in a in a given moment. So it becomes kind of a, a natural, more of more of an intuitive thing. Is that the idea? Yeah, the idea is to take one precept at a time. Over a two-week period, um, and focus on that one and, and discuss it in the group, and, and, and also keep a journal about it. The, uh, the fifth precept, which is about um, having, you know, not clouding your mind or keeping a clear mind, or sometimes referred to as the uh, not a, not abusing drugs and alcohol, we'll have four weeks to contemplate that one because that's a big one. <laughs> 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 um, but, yeah, the idea is we'll move along, just focusing on one at a time and uh, as part of that process. And we try and personalise it, you know, so that the, the group will need to, you know, a, um, abide with confidentiality. So we try and create. That's why I couldn't have – there's probably two members, too many members in the group a little bit. I would try and keep it small enough so people can feel that they can actually engage personally in the discussion And it doesn't just become an academic exercise. So, because it's part of how we, you know, there'll be parts of our lives, which will, um, that we can discuss hopefully in safety and uh, and confidential, yeah. Any other questions about the precepts? Okay. Um, I won't go into the meditation practices, other than to state that we still, as Zen Buddhists, we still acknowledge the importance of the uh, Satipatthana Sutra, Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And uh, that f- provides the grounding for all the other kind of meditation practices we engage in. Now, I'm not going to go into um, the Buddhist philosophy, of, of Buddhist philosophy today, but um, we'll do a little bit of that when we study the Heart Sutra later on this year. Um what I'd like to go to now is the commitment to teacher teachings and commitment to sangha. Um so really in a way um again this is a very personal kind of choice or preference. Um the the Zen tradition um, has an important part of the Zen tradition is the relationship between a teacher and a student. And um, one of the reasons why some Zen teachers form a Sangha is to preserve and maintain the tradition. Um, so as friends and members, we identify with the Sangha and we develop ongoing relationships with teacher and Sangha members. Um, but not all, not all Zen teachers necessarily form sanghas. Um, Barry was kind of innovative. There was um, an encouraging people sometimes to find alternative ways of teaching in the West other than forming a sangha. Um, so there was a, um, a teacher called Mark Perrier who was a law professor. He died a few years ago. He was a lovely man. And um, Mark was active in the law department um, where he taught taught. Mindfulness, and also various law conferences and professional associations. So he'd try and promote the Dharma or promote mindfulness and Zen within a sort of legal context, and that was his main form of teaching. He didn't actually establish a separate Sangha. Um, Malcolm Martin, who some of you have already met and who will be participating as a co-facilitator in the precepts group, volunteered for many, still does, for a number of years as a Buddhist chaplain in the prison system in England. Uh, Malcolm has recently formed a sangha, but uh, that's just a recent development in his practice. So, for example, one could be um, authorized to be a teacher and be a prison chaplain um, rather than form a sangha. I mean, there are opportunities in Australia for prison chaplaincy and also chaplaincy in, in schools as well. where well, one can uh, uh, practice that. In fact, I think Elizabeth Barrett had some experience of um, um, providing some uh, Buddhist uh, chaplaincy in a, in a primary school from memory. Yeah. So the um, other teachers may get involved with, you know, peacemaking or different, so that they're kind of like, just to our imagination, there could be different ways a teacher could engage in this practice without forming a sangha. Um, in terms of how teaching is passed down in the Zen tradition, it varies from sangha to sangha. Um, uh, but in many ways, it's kind of like an apprenticeship system where after establishing a relationship with the teacher, there's two levels of teacherhood, if you like. There's The first level where... One is able to, res- to give the precepts and teach the authorization to teach, but still under the supervision of a teacher. And the second level of teaching authorization is when you become independent and you can establish a Sangha. Uh, but even when that happens, like I maintain an ongoing relationship with my teacher, Barry, and uh, it's kind of like at the moment we have a little supervision group where there's a couple of other teachers. And me and Barry, we, we, we work together on a regular basis. Um, so the that never that, that relationship with the teacher is ongoing. In some, in some Zen centers, um, they kind of like formalize the relationship with the teacher. It's called when the it's called in Zen the primary teacher or your root teacher. There might be something similar in the Tibetan tradition as well. Um, It's called the shoken ceremony, and um, but in OZ Zen or in ordinary mind Zen, it's it's a little bit more informal than that. There's no kind of formal ceremony to become a a student of a teacher. It's more of an understanding that's developed over a period of time with each other. Um, So, I've, in order to do that. I mean, students are also encouraged to explore different teachings and teachers, Um, but at some point in your journey, it's recommended you enter into a primary relationship with one transmitted teacher in the Ordinary Mind Zen lineage, if Ordinary Mind Zen is where you want to be. um, This primary teacher-student relationship, traditionally called Shoken, which literally means seeing one another. The Shokan relationship is not meant to be exclusive. Shokan students can continue to study with other teachers in the Oz lineage or even other lineages. Um, So when I was working with Barry and he was my primary teacher, I entered into a relationship also with Sexton Burke Roshi and Ellen Davison, who's also a Nauru Roshi, I think, in the Diamond Zen tradition, while I was still working with Barry. So there's a kind of... um, there's a nice flexibility there for everybody. Um, but if you feel you're, you're at some stage in your practice where you want to kind of commit to a primary relationship with me, then discuss it with me and we can talk about it. That's why I've tried to be a little bit more structured in offering some regular individual practice interviews this year because it's difficult at Sortel to do that. And so, That's called Dokusan or practice interviews. And I've organized to start those every second Wednesday on uh, the 10th of March. There'll be spots available from 7.30pm till 9pm. The the interview time is limited to 15 minutes and it's focused on your Zen practice. Um, So please email me uh, to make a booking and I will send you the Zoom link. In terms of commitment to the Sangha, the other important aspect of our practice, um, if you're at a stage where you'd like to move from being a friend to being a member, please contact our secretary, Jill, and she can send a form out to you. But there are many opportunities for getting involved in leadership roles in the Sangha. Everything from, like, the job that Phil does, kind of like the manager of the Zendo. He, He does the timekeeping, leads the walks, but also make sure that everything's functioning well in the zendo during a practice period and hopefully when we do the retreat at the end of the year phil will also be able to be the manager for the retreat just told you that now phil (laughs) (laughs) it's an extension of that role but we do need someone to apprentice themselves to to fill as well so that if for some reason phil is not available we have someone else who can fill that role Similarly with the chant leader, that's a new role we've developed for this year. Larry's volunteer to take that on, but it would be great for Larry to have a co-chant leader as well that we can work with. Then there's involvement through sangha management and governance via the committee, office bearers, and general members to get involved in uh, running the sangha. There's journal contributions and someone to edit the journal. We might need a journal editor later on this year. We've got uh, the opportunity for student presentation, presentations as well as journal contributions. Uh, the possibility of, 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 of facilitating guided meditations if you have an interest in that area. And also people with online media and publication skills are always welcome. Um, I'd just like to say a couple of quick things about the integration of psychotherapy and Zen. In some ways, the boundaries are somewhat um, overlap, but I'd just like to make one point. Um, In some ways, we we could say that the difference between psychotherapy and Zen, and this could be disputed, but in psychotherapy, the goal is the reduction of suffering through the enhancement of self, relationships, personal skills and resilience. In Zen, the goal is release from suffering through directly seeing the emptiness of self. In some ways, I think the loving kindness and compassion practices can make form a bridge between psychotherapy and Zen. But there's a lot of overlaps and it's difficult sometimes to be clear about that, but I don't want to get into too much discussion about that. I just wanted to make that point. But I do recommend Barry Majid's books because he talks a lot about the integration of Zen and psychotherapy. And there's a lot of Zen teachers who are uh, psychotherapists who have written books on that topic. And everyone's encouraged to... Uh, in, you know, psychotherapy is really for everybody. It's, uh, it's, it's certainly in the, uh, the psychoanalytical tradition. It's a kind of really just reflecting on one's life, and everybody can enjoy doing that. It's not necessarily you don't necessarily have to pathologize yourself to engage in some kind of psychotherapy. It's uh, it's just a good practice for all of us to engage in at one time or another, and. Um, So there are lots of really good psychotherapists out there and there are psychotherapists with an interest in Zen or other forms of spiritual um, traditions. Just quickly too, I think it's really important to try and integrate art and uh, crafts with our practice too. So I really like to encourage people to explore and imagine ways in which you can integrate arts and crafts, music and poetry into our practice. And friends and members of our Zen are always encouraged to share those forms of expression, whether it be through the journal or performances at various times in the Zen So I will um, leave that there and go to any more questions or comments. So um, if, just, uh, if you want to ask a question or make a comment or point of clarification, yeah, just unmute yourself. Uh, if you, and um, if you have any ideas about this, I'll send you a copy of what I've been using as my reference and uh, feel free to email me or share something with me.
0: I just wanted to say, Andrew, thanks for that. That's a really... Um, uh, interesting and um and great overview of of this uh, omz uh path and um yeah really looking forward to it and, and and i really just wanted to uh say a note of appreciation for for all the hard work you've done to put this together
1: thank you jed i'll second that <laughs> thanks tom um either michael or jason did either of you want to can you hear me uh yeah you can did you want to say did you want to ask a question jason oh sorry i've had a bit of trouble with communication this
0: morning that's why i was late um but yeah i just want to say thank you as well andrew um,
1: okay you're doing
0: but so also with your the precepts would that also be involved sporting activities I think
1: as uh, as in a way of expressing yourself? well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you were to take well, life saving would be a beautiful example of um, of getting involved in the community from a Buddhist point of view. Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a, a structure. Uh, yeah, and not only that. Like as as you as as we work in different agencies of social change or agencies that are that really. Care is another good word for compassion. You know, forms of showing care for ourselves in our community. You know, life-saving, not only the actual, you know, the clients or the I don't know what you call the the people you like you you know you're saving, but but also the actual the actual agencies that provide that service as well. Because the as you know, the relationships within organisations are just as important as the 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 role that they do. And uh, all the different kinds of organisations we're all involved with, whether we're therapists, whether we're lifesavers, whether we're, um, you know, working in the tax department or whatever, every every organisation we're working in is an opportunity for personal and social transformation by what we bring to it. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. So, Michael, did yeah. Yeah, thanks,
0: Andrew. Um, uh, like others, uh, very much appreciate the, uh, the, the talk and uh, exposition and all the uh, care, time and thought you've put into it. And uh, you, you've covered a, a huge amount of ground and I, I appreciate um, that you felt some topics were more pertinent for today and others less so. And Perhaps it was that with um, the psychotherapy and Zen side that maybe right now you didn't want to talk about it too much. Um, yeah, I, so I thought
1: that would be a great just topic. Just my own sense is that time. it's a really... I think that would be a great oh, well, topic. Well, I anticipated
0: that <laughs> response. But... <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I, I thought about
1: yeah, yeah. long and hard about raising the question. I didn't yeah I, I didn't really give that justice today I didn't have time yeah but
0: let me say why it's uh, it's just it's it's been on my mind since uh, oh, for as long as I can remember like what is the relationship between the two and of course Barry's written a, a book uh, talking about it and if a practice is saying it is you know, this connected with that, then I think it's really important to say how, and not only in terms of root ideas, but because it will help people to know what they're getting into uh, and how how the two are working together, like, you know, I can see some beautiful connections like both psych and psychotherapy and, and Zen are working to make the unconscious more conscious, you know, in other words, that we're not just being driven by, um, let's say, uh, concepts or cultural ideas or dualistic ways of thinking, that, that we, we are um, working in both traditions to break through one drawing more from things like um, working with uh, unconscious organising principles um you know so so i see lots of fruit lots of fruit
1: yeah ab- absolutely yeah there's and lots of overlaps yeah. and parallels and um uh, yeah i mean definitely not as you said worthy of a book or worthy of at least a number of dharma talks but yeah so let's let's i mean hopefully we'll have well, time to explore I? that more this year as well and um, yeah mm. Okay. But that's certainly part of, our, part of our tradition, part of our Ordinary Mind Zen tradition now through Barry Down, yeah, to continue to explore mm. that mm. Uh, interconnection.